Thanks, Robbie. And just to echo that, thanks to Linda as well and all our kids involved uh, in our children's talk this morning. It's wonderful to see so many of us this morning. And we're opening, we're, we're concluding our series this morning uh, in the fruit of the Spirit. And we come to the end of this list and we're going to focus a little bit on self control. And I wanted to use, uh, we'll focus mostly in Titus chapter 2, but I wanted to use this very powerful image that we find in Proverbs 25 as we begin to open this up this morning. So I want to do three things. I want to define self-control. I want to have a little look and a think about broken walls. And then I want us to have a think about building and maintaining walls from Titus chapter 2. At the end of this list of the Spirit, we've been through them all now. We come to the end and we come to the slightly strange and out of place characteristic of self-control. It's slightly out of place because it focuses more on me than it does my relationships uh, and the way I interact with other people. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness are all ways in which we react and we respond in our relationships and our interaction. And self-control certainly focuses on ourselves. We can exercise self-control when we're in our homes and we're on our own. And arguably, that is the most important times in the hidden and the private moments when nobody else is looking that self-control is most important. But also, if we are properly exercising self-control, it will benefit those around us. And in some ways, it's almost the most important of the list. Because without self-control... Without self-control of the works of the flesh and the things of this world, the things of the flesh cannot be overcome and the other elements of the fruit will not be evident. It was Plato, eh, Aristotle, sorry, who said, eh, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies for the hardest victory is over self And it was Plato that said that our urges must be governed or else they will produce a feverish state in the soul. A city of pigs. Something that knows no limits. And they're both saying that when we're not self-controlled, our life is a mess. Our lives can be like a pigsty. We come to this word, self-control. And it isn't simply about our own willpower or self-determination. Self-control is more than just self-help. It is more than just, I will do better. I need to do better. I can try harder. And Paul gives us this dilemma in in Romans 7.18. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Is that not so much the bugbears of our lives that we know what is right, but we're just not able to do it on our own? A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. We need help. We need help being self-controlled. I thank goodness that that help is offered to us. Help is offered to us by Christ through his spirit. So let us define it in the next slide. Control of the self by the spirit for the sake 
of the gospel. There's a definition for self-control. Because like all the fruit, all of it is for the sake of the gospel. That we might be examples of him. That we might be known by our fruit. And that our fruit might be displayed before others. Ultimately attracting them to the Lord Jesus. So let's think a little bit about a lack of self-control. We'll move back to this image of Proverbs 25. Do you know, in order to, to fully understand the fruit of the Spirit... It is helpful for us to, to describe and understand a little bit of what the absence of self-control looks like. It provides this dramatic, Proverbs 25, provides this dramatic picture of what a life completely out of control looks like. You don't need me to give you any kind of a history lesson, but big walls and thick walls are harder to get through. Therefore, bigger and thicker walls make you safer. I was thinking about geeking out and give you a story from Lord of the Rings, but I thought it might have been a bit much for you this morning. But very simply, a weak wall that has been broken into by enemies is vulnerable. A city with pathetic walls, with walls that are in disrepair, has no reputation because there was likely nothing to the city worth defending. But healthy and prosperous cities had strong walls. And I want to just give us three biblical examples, two from the Old and one from the New Testament, of people living lives that are out of control. And we come to the dramatic story, firstly, of Samson that we find in Judges 14 to 16. I'm sure you know some of the story. But he has a portrait of self-destruction. He was one of Israel's judges and the Spirit of God was empowering the man. He was known for his strength and his luscious long locks and he led God's people for 20 years. And one of his primary tasks was to protect the people from the influence of the pagan Philistines. But he utterly lacked self-control. He visited the Philistine prostitutes and eventually told Delilah about his secret of his power. And lacking that self-control, he soon lost his hair, which for some is bad enough. But then he also lost his strength and lost his life. Because he lacked self-control. The second example is that of King Saul and also of David. King Saul was another man completely deficient of self-control because he was so determined to destroy David that his life spun completely out of control. Again, we're in 1 Samuel, and that's 21 to 23. But he ignored the important things in life and, and his priorities changed to become consumed by chasing David all around the place to go and kill him. And David here showed remarkable self-control because when he was presented with the opportunity for revenge, he didn't take it. David says in 24 verse 6, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David demonstrates wonderful self-control. But obviously we can't leave the story of David there as a wonderful example of self-control. 
Because the story that ends, that comes to adultery and murder, but then again we see the wonderful reconciliation of God. And thirdly, a New Testament example for us, the governor Felix in Acts 24. Paul is on trial before him and in true Paul fashion, he takes it as an opportunity to present the gospel. And in verse 25 of chapter 24, he emphasizes three things to him. He emphasizes righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Felix is a pagan man. He had no self-control. He indulged in all sorts of cruelty and lust. He committed murder and adultery. And he was no different from many of the others in the empire. And you know, history and scholars tell us that when ancient Rome were disciplined and controlled, it was a great nation. But when they became saturated in their own sin, they lost their glory. This drunkenness and the orgies and the anything that goes mindset caused Rome to cave inwards and implode in on themselves. Interestingly, the decline of the Roman Empire goes hand in hand with their self-indulgence. And interestingly, Felix's response to Paul's preaching, maybe like many of ours, he reveals that he was afraid, and he basically said, go away and I'll give you a call and you can come back and preach the second half of that sermon at me. And I don't think Paul ever got that call. But some of us can maybe relate in some ways to some of these stories. A complete lack of self-control. Unfortunately, some of us have allowed our walls to be broken down. Instead of governing and managing our desires and our appetites, most of us become bingers by nature. Whether that be food or sleep or work or TV or social media or sports or spending. Most of us in some way are bingers. We're given a reminder in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it will flow the springs of life. I wonder, friends, how our walls of self-control are this morning. Are they weak and are they vulnerable? Do you know that as soon as temptation comes your way, you are just caving because you've done so for years? That there are those Monday mornings when we say, this week I'm going to do better. God, please help me. But this week I'm going to do better. Things can only look up from here. Do we know that we're quick to be tempted and quick to give in? Well, let's find some solutions, shall we? And let us turn to Titus in chapter 2, building and maintaining walls. And I want to just start by asking us a question. Is it possible to display self-control in a self-centered and self-seeking culture? We all need it. Most of us, hopefully all of us, want it. But some of us might feel that there is no hope. Perhaps we've tried many things and we failed. 
Maybe you fall into the same sins over and over and over and over again. But before you throw in that towel, let us turn and let us focus on what the New Testament, on what we are given here as a thought on self-control. And Titus had no easy role here. The island of Crete, eh, much as some of it is now, is known as a party place that was full of bars and it was known in the first century even as a party place. And Paul describes it in, in chapter 1 and verse 12. He describes them as liars, evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Doesn't sound the most uh, promising of places to go on mission. But temptation abounded. And it was tripping up some of the new Christians with whom Titus was working in the church there. These people that were new in Christ, that were new creations, were coming out of the world around about them. But of course, as we know, we can't fully detach ourselves from the world. Each one of them would have had friends and acquaintances that would have been participating in things that as new believers they should not have been participating in. This was not an easy place to win converts. Nor was it an easy place for believers to maintain their purity and their self-control. And that's why Paul a number of times in this little letter to Titus is emphasizing and constantly encouraging them to seize self-control. You know, instead of just acting crazy and going with the flow with no restraint, Paul challenges them. He challenges a group of people. In, in chapter 1 and verse 8, firstly, he challenges the elders to be self-controlled. In verse 2, he challenges the older men to be self-controlled. He teaches the older women to teach the younger women to be self-controlled, implying that the older women must be therefore. And everyone's to urge the young men to be self-controlled. Who is to be self-controlled? Everyone. Without exception. But it's the final verses of these that we get to. Verses 11 to 14. That give us a little bit of a solution to out-of-control lives. Because, friends, it is not good enough. And it is not enough for us just to try a little bit harder. And if you've tried it, you know it. You don't need me to tell you. But we desperately, in every area of our lives, but especially when it comes to self-control, we need to know God's power and we need to know his grace. So let us just read those verses from uh, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify uh, for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. How do we seize self-control? What is the emphasis of this passage? It is grace. It is God's eh, lavish favour that is poured out upon undeserving sinners. And I just want to highlight three things that this grace does. 
Firstly, this grace redeems us. God's grace brings salvation. It brings an escape and salvation from our sinfulness. And we are therefore saved and marked to be different. Why? Because he gave himself for us. The Lord Jesus sacrificed himself, dying on that cross, because his love for you is of such epic proportions. That is grace. That is the grace that redeems us, because there is a redeemer. And we come this morning together as church, because the price has been paid in full. The price has been paid in full by the one least deserving to pay it. Grace reforms us. As we read in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. Grace trains us. Salvation not only changes our position before God to unacceptable to acceptable, but we've also now been given a change in attitude, a change in appetite, a change in ambition and action in the way that we conduct ourselves. We've been given freedom, complete and utter freedom from the condemnation of sin. And we have complete freedom from the dominion of sin. And God is training each one of us through his spirit to be the kind of people that bring him glory. And you notice in verse 12 that we can say no to ungodliness and passions. To be self-controlled is to restrain ourselves. We can say no when everything in me screams yes. We can deny the things of this world. God gives us the ability through his spirit to withstand temptation. And his reforming grace also says yes. It says yes to being self-controlled, yes to being upright, and yes to living godly lives. Because we've been redeemed from this world, we now no longer need to conform to it. Let me just offer you a list of a few ways in which we can say no to the destructive and yes to what is helpful. Firstly, admit that you have a problem with self-control. Firstly, to God, but also to somebody that you know and you trust more mature than you in Christ. Admit that you have a problem. Secondly, admit to the authority of Christ. Galatians 5.16, live by the Spirit that you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Submit to the authority of Christ, living in his spirit, so that we do not have to give in and gratify the things that pull us away from God. Cultivate the disciplines of Bible reading and prayer. Read your Bible and pray every day. 
Invest. Invest in our friendships. Invest in our Christian relationships. Ecclesiastes 4.10, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Invest. Invest in good Christian relationships. Number five is often the most difficult for us, but cut the bad influences. Avoid the things, possibly the relationships, the people, the temptations in our life. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. Let us surround ourselves with people who will help us strive for these things. Practice good habits. Slowly but surely build habits that are good, that become routine, that become part of our lives. And lastly, welcome gracious correction. Things would have ended very differently for Samson if he had listened to those who warned him. And thirdly, grace rewards us. We can have self-control because we've been redeemed from the way that we used to live. And verse 13 reminds us that the return of Jesus is our only hope and glory. Instead of living for today, we live for uh, in today but knowing what is to come. Knowing that one day we will see Jesus face to face. And that should give us some kind of impetus and energy to want to live spirit-controlled lives. We wait in hopeful expectation of what is to come. But also then we recognize that through the spirit there is a powerful antidote to the lusts and the passions of this world. Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, says this, Our ordinary method of dealing with ingrained sin is to launch a frontal attack. We rely on our willpower and determination. Whatever may be the issue for us, anger, fear, bitterness, gluttony, pride, lust, substance abuse. We determine never to do it again. We pray against it, fight against it, and set our will against it. But the struggle is all in vain and we find ourselves once again morally bankrupt. We are created with a multitude of emotions and moods and passions and desires. And all of them need managing. We need strong walls to guard our hearts. These things must be under control or they will end up controlling us. The point I'm trying to make in all of this is that we cannot develop self-control on our own. And if you have tried, you know that. The Christians on Crete faced long odds and so do we. There are always more than enough people and examples and influences that are trying to pull us back into unrestrained living because sometimes the world looks so good. And sometimes it just looks so attractive. 
But the wonderful news is that we don't have to give in to those. We don't need to give in to our own desires. And as we submit and as we surrender to the Spirit's control, it is right there that you will experience freedom and power like you have never seen before. Let's wrap us up. What does self-control mean? It means that we behave in a manner that is appropriate to the given situation. It means that we remain silent when it's appropriate to do so. It means that we speak when we need to speak. It means that we control our tempers and do not blow up every time things don't go our way. And it means that we ignore the minor mistakes of others instead of trying to prove that we are always right. If our schools and our colleges and our universities and our workplace and our family lives and our churches were marked by these things, I wonder how different things would look. Is the fruit of self-control evident in your life? Do you lose your temper often? Are you able to control your emotions? Take some time to look at the relationships in your life to see whether you are exercising self-control. Ask God to grant you the wisdom through his spirit to better understand how we might control ourselves. And right before the fruit in Galatians 5 and verse 16, we are just given the most wonderful reminder, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Friends, let us invest in building strong walls around our hearts. Maybe you have a major rebuilding job to do. We would love to, to chat to you and support you. Come and speak to me, any of our leadership team, if you would like to, and we will support you because this is so vitally important. Maybe you know your weaknesses and accountability from a Christian friend would be helpful. I would encourage you to do so. But I want to leave this exactly where I started this 10 weeks ago. And that is the most important reminder of all that we found in John chapter 15. Abide in Christ. Friends, let's spend our days in the presence of Jesus. Let's be people that are all about Jesus. Let us prioritise Jesus. Let us put him and his words, his commands and his leading before all else. And I'll just close this by reading John 15 and verses 5 to 11. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. 
abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Our God, we will never be able to thank you enough for all that your Son has done for us. We will never be able to thank you enough for the sacrifice that he made at Calvary. But not only to make that sacrifice once, but still you left your Spirit, the Helper, to this day to come alongside us, to strengthen us, to bear fruit within us, to enable us. Lord God, would we be a church community that is marked by a submission to Jesus? Would we be a church community that is so focused on you and your ways that the fruit of the Spirit would be evident in all of our interactions? For the many things, Lord, that you have spoken to us and challenged us on and encouraged us in in these last ten weeks, would you help us, Lord, to build on that? in the days and the weeks ahead. Would you help us to be people that are all about Jesus? In your name I pray. Amen.